0: Hey, what's going on good people? Welcome back to another episode of Training Well Done, your show on the what, the why, and the how quality training. This is your host, Coach Donald, and I am here with the man with the plan, Dan Lampman of YRC. <laughs> how you doing? What's up, Donald? Oh man, it's been, good, uh, it's been a good day. We were just chatting about silliness. Yes, we
1: were. How did you like my little rhyme intro? I I'm, I, you're not the first one that's used that joke oh. but uh i appreciate it i appreciate i like having a plan
0: that's so unoriginal
1: <laughs> man just it just flowed out i mean it, it, i guess i mentioned before like working in schools and whatnot dan is an easy name to hit some rhymes with and a lot of kids man plan everything else like, I, like people would just go for it so <laughs> i enjoy it every single time what's the best one you've ever gotten I think someone worked in the word "fan" once, but "fan" is in like "big fan," like you're you're fanning yourself or something like that. <laughs> and they, I forget what it was, but they had a fan in their hand, so it became a prop. And I was just, I, I was loving it.
0: Interesting. What was this at?
1: This was at uh, University Prep in okay. the Hill District. What did you do over there again? I was a Heinz fellow, so if, like a year out of school, I was a paraprofessional and a teacher, and because of a lot of things happening and. Pittsburgh Public Schools, I played a lot of different roles, so I was in classrooms as a paraprofessional, just like one of the helpers in the classroom, but at times would take over the class and actually teach, um, and I also mentored uh, a larger group of students. Um, I was with juniors and seniors mostly, and I was in, um, actually I, I got placed in African American history, um, which became a very interesting class because the teacher of it was Blau Abby, who's a, a hip-hop artist here. Mm-hmm um and he's a black man so he and i in the class and the school of predominantly black kids got to be a really interesting conversation that we actually like went in depth so that one was really cool how did you end up in that class i have no idea why they put me in that class i was one of two white men that were in the cohort i have no idea why i was placed and i want to be very clear i was placed in that class i didn't ask to be Um, I got put into it because I said, like, what are you good at? I'm I'm good at history. I studied history informally, informally, and I'm good at English because I can write and stuff like that. So I was put in an English class, but I was always in this history class. And I think it might have been because it was the only history class for, like, that age of a student. Mm. Um, Maybe that was why. I was never getting an exact reason. But um, Bilal, the the teacher, who I, I don't know if he's still there or not, he was a phenomenal teacher and a great mentor to a lot of the kids. And so... Him get, me and him getting to know each other, and I had met him, like, one time out of the, the class, and we kind of got to hang out outside of, of the school, too, so we, can't, we became, like, maybe fast friends, maybe friends. I, we still follow each other on social media and yeah. like things about each other and, like, catch up from time to time, but I think that was really helpful because working with him, um, it became, actually, I think, a good, like, general topic in the classroom where, like actual, you know, tough topics were discussed because I I could bring a certain lens and I could give a certain validation to things, um, and I would lead the class.
0: Interesting.
1: What was the most interesting or memorable thing
0: you learned in that class?
1: I think it was in general, that whole experience well, the most interesting part like I was I was 22, 23 right out when I was learning all oh, Was it was my first year I, I graduated was living in a squat bartending finally got a job and it was my first actual paycheck of my life um, and when I was there you know I come from a certain type of background and I got that job and I got to learn about what was happening in the hill much more tangibly than anything else like throughout the whole process I was in living rooms and talking to parents and getting to know all the kids. I think the most interesting about in that class were the questions the kids were asking, and I don't have a question that stands out right now, but the, 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 the like incredibly honest questions that a, a couple of the kids whose names I can remember that I won't say here we because I don't want to throw, throw their names around, but the questions I remember them asking um, like led into very sprawling conversations about systemic racism in a lot of different areas. And I think that was probably the coolest thing was that it was finding out the way that specific things touched them in their lives. And when they would ask honestly, um, Blah, uh, Mr. Abbey would take it uh, in a direction that would explain it in the larger picture. So, I mean, it was, uh, you know, talking about different friends that might have gotten in trouble. Um, and Schumann, which I think is closed down now, mm-hmm. um, like, they would talk about like kids getting sent to Schumann and what that meant. And then you talk about the military industrial complex and the systemic racism and all of that, um, and that would lead to redlining and all these other things. That was that, that was really interesting to learn those touch points, um, and those kids like, definitely stick with me even these days.
0: Wow. That's that's quite an interesting experience that I'm sure you did not expect to get coming out of college.
1: Well, I will put it this way. I knew that there was a reality in the world that I didn't know. Um, and. You know, I want to build community. I don't want to just build community with the people that (laughs) just look like me. And so I was like, all right, well, I got to learn some hard truths about this world. And I'm not going to learn it in the suburban scape that I I grew up in. So let me find some work. Let me try to work in communities authentically and try to present in the most authentic way to actually learn these things.
0: Where in Pittsburgh did you grow up
1: at? I didn't grow up here. You didn't grow up in Pittsburgh. You grew up
0: in what? Did you say routine? Where did you tell me did you... I, I you, were right. like, you were right. You were in State Virginia. Yeah, I did elementary school there.
1: Elementary school. Um, I, I like, was born in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, um, which is on the main line outside Philadelphia. Mm. And then yeah, I, I guess you're a Google yeah, fan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. My heart's dead right now. Um, I moved to Richmond, Virginia, a little outside Richmond, about 15 minutes outside, called Mechanicsville, I think. I think that was mm-hmm. where my address was. Um, and then um, we moved back to in um, an area called Limerick, Pennsylvania, which is in that. Montgomery County, further out from the city than um, I was originally born. Um, and uh, I did like fourth grade through high school there. And then when I was 18, I moved here. I've been visited. By, in August will be 10 years in Pittsburgh.
0: Wow. Yeah. Interesting. And so you've become a
1: Yinzer. Become a Yinzer. Honorary uh, and um, maybe self-proclaimed, but whatever. You know. <laughs>
0: So, uh, we're on a podcast about training. Tell me a little bit about your athletic background. A lot of people tuning in, they'll have an idea of what you do. We're going to get to that. But tell us a little bit about your athletic background. I saw you up there talking to Coach Tony yeah. about skating, and I don't know what you did. It looked like a line dance, <laughs> stuff, but you were talking about it being a, a cutting move in skating. Yeah, yeah, I
1: yeah. I, so. Obviously, I run now, and I I'm working on building my strength training and everything else out. But I grew up as a kid that played hockey. Um, I like. It's a funny story. Like, I, I pretty much I'm a hyperactive kid. I was climbing trees very early. I, I, funny enough, I taught myself how to ride a bike most people have someone that shows them how to do it. I was given a bike and my mom said, all right, dad, I need to go inside and use the bathroom. I'll be right back out. And between her leaving me with the bike and going into the bathroom and coming back out, I was riding around the cul-de-sac that we were living in, in Richmond, Virginia. Um, And so I've always just been a hyperactive kid doing a lot of things. I played soccer. I played baseball. Um, I did gymnastics for a little while when I was really little, um, which was a lot of fun, but I was more uh, enjoying, like, Rope swings and jumping in foam pits. That was a great time as a little kid. Um, but in the town that I lived in, in, in Virginia, um, there was an, it was a, called Ashland Skateland. And it was an old hardwood roller derby uh, roller rink. And they had just had like seasonal roller hockey for some reason. You know, summer, winter, spring and fall. And for whatever reason, again, in that area, in that specific town, with this specific rink, that was like the thing all the kids played. Like all the boys played baseball sometimes, some women played soccer, but for some reason everyone played roller hockey. Mm. I don't know why that case was. I never asked my parents about it. I don't know like if that was just a concerted decision that they all the parents made, we're gonna put them in roller hockey or something, I don't know. Um, but I loved it. And I played really consistently when I was a kid. I um, When we moved um, to uh, Limerick Pennsylvania I started playing travel roller hockey because I was old enough to play travel and I would go um, you know to New Jersey sometimes I think we went to like New York a couple times a lot in the greater Philadelphia area we came out to Pittsburgh um, often um, outside the city was um, the championships of the, the, the league that we were in so it was always either on our side of the state on the east side or close to the Pittsburgh um, I grew up playing roller hockey kept playing kept playing and then in eighth grade, I wanted to play ice hockey. Um, friends, and I was in school now, I realized I was an ice hockey team. I'd never even skated before, so figured I wanted to play. So you started
0: playing ice hockey, but you had never ice skated before?
1: No, again, it's a teach yourself how to ride a bike situation. I bought, found skates from a friend. I got the equipment I needed from secondhand shops, and then like went to like the tryouts. Um, and just was like I had probably done a couple of skating things before but I never went to like a coach to teach me how to do anything I just kind of put it on figured it out and then um, in you know starting in high school I there's a fun little story about how I went from JV to varsity and because of one JV game I was very bitter about losing the varsity spot and I played a game of JV that was good enough to get me in the varsity so I, I joined the varsity and I, I just played that all throughout high school Um, and then when I graduated and I came to Pittsburgh, um, ice hockey is a crazy expensive sport. You need a lot of equipment. You have to pay for ice time when equipment breaks or when you grow out of it, it is hundreds of dollars. Now it's ridiculously expensive. Um, when I moved to Pittsburgh, I immediately needed to get a job on campus. I started getting other work, um, classes, all the different things I was doing. I didn't have, I couldn't pay for it and I, you know, going to school was hard enough. Um, and I needed something that could pad like the times that I could just like sneak out a workout. And I didn't, I had some background in in training and off ice training. Um, like you were mentioning, I was doing with Tony out there, um, during my time playing ice hockey. So I knew some things, but I, I wanted a workout that made it feel like I did a good workout that was accomplishment based. And my mom is a runner. Um, Mm. and so you know, I, I was at the finish line when she ran half marathons and like, I, I was a kid and it was always a thing that I knew she would get up at 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. whatever time and go out for 7 miles, 6 miles and now less because she's uh, she's not, you know, time has progressed but um, it was always in the lexicon of my house that you would just go for a run if you needed to work out so um, I bought shoes and just started running. Um, at that point, I couldn't run comfortably 3 miles. Really? I, I, I mean, I just, Hockey's a sprinting sport. I would train a little bit, but I wasn't really paying attention to, to what was going on. And I wanted to be able to go out and run three miles, no problem, anytime, any day. And now it's, I want to be able to do, it became six miles and then it became 12 miles. And now, you know, I'm a little more deep into it, but I just started running. And, uh, you know, now we're here 10 years later. Do you remember how
0: hard it was in those first runs when you was like, all right, I'm going to go for some runs. So what was that like?
1: Man, I remember uh, We li- I lived in a development in high school. And the first time couple times I started trying to like train off ice by myself when I was a senior in high school. i would get up at 5 a.m. trying to get in a, a, a workout of some sort. You to run with your mom? What? Who are you all, running with your mom? She would go. She would drive to a, a, a trail and run that. I would just walk out of my house because... I'm a kid that was probably up till two a.m. the night before, and then I'm getting up at five to go to class and falling asleep in first period or whatever. Um, and so I would try to run three miles, and like I don't know if it was the hills I was running because we were living around hills or whatever, but it was tough. <laughs> I was gassed every time, and I I also was fortunate enough uh, that during that time, fun like I didn't look, health class in most public schools is a joke. It certainly was a joke in mine but the health teacher at my school was this bit his name was his uh, coach Donald he coached the lacrosse team and he was huge on he was i don't know if it was like before its time but he was big on the toe shoes he was big on shoe uh, toe separation of foot form of running form and he would just go at like like go off about running form and the importance of running the importance of good shoes um and as someone that has very flat feet, that's always worried about that whenever he's on the athletics, there's a long story I could tell you about there. Um, listening to Coach Donnelly made me realize a lot of the, the importance of how you take care of your feet. So I, during that time, was trying to teach myself how to run, mm. um, like actually structurally how to run and how to run efficiently or just for longevity reasons. And a part of that too is that when you play ice hockey for your only thing seven days a week, your legs move differently than our runner's legs move. Hockey, you push outward away from your body because you're trying to push with your blades to propel you forward. Running... It's you're using your actual like the way your body's supposed to move to keep you moving forward. So I'm running like the road runner with my legs going. Oh my god, that's hilarious! I I my best friend is as a was a soccer player, so he was a sprinter and really, really good at it. And he would laugh at me during gym class, being like, "Man, you can't run! <laughs> like my legs are almost kicking like my my elbows as I'm going." It was wild, <laughs> and so it was fun to like use that thing he was telling me in class and then just try to think about where my foot is striking and I like that served me so well now that I I've avoided a lot of injuries injuries that way but that was when I was 16 17 18 that he was saying it. and I, I like I that's a like a credit due to like my mom for saying that that's an easy thing that anyone can do you are a runner no matter how quickly you're going which is a total through line to to, to you know again's run club and then coach Donnelly giving me like Structural things to think about that now whenever I talk to you you add to completely
0: So excuse me wait somebody is out there deadlifting like crazy (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wow, it's it's, crazy how like these lessons that you learned 20 years ago Just seeing your mom go run to 10 years ago with your coach and how that's all played out for you and let's talk about Yin's Run Club YRC, so
1: how did that come about? Yeah, Yeah, that's it's a really Fun story that's had a lot of twists and turns and a lot of changes. Um, it started the first run we did, um, the first run crew run, actually wasn't on a Wednesday night, and it was on July nineteenth, twenty twenty one. Memorialized day. I memorialized day. It 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 works because we are still counting the run crews. So this yesterday, right today's Thursday. Yesterday um, was Wednesday, and so I think that was a seventy sixth run mm-hmm. um, of YRC. Um, it started because I had a friend who I think you've met, Mike Catino Michael Catino we've known each other since college and he wanted to he spent some time in San Francisco um, uh, a while back and he wanted to go back to San Francisco but he wanted a reason to go back and he when he was there ran a 5k um, at the San Francisco Marathon like during a whole weekend and he was like you know what I want to try to run the half marathon Let's. I, will, I, will, I want to do this. Let's do it. Dan, can you train me um, so I can go, do the half marathon? At that time in 2021, it was post-pandemic. We, you know, running was and being active was hard. It was a very stationary thing for my whole running career. It's always been a very like solitude type of activity. Um, but I had already run a, the Pittsburgh Marathon and I did done pretty well, um, and i had been a consistent runner. And so he knew that, and he asked me like, Hey, can you help out? And for me, it was the selling point of like, can you help me run this? I'll help you I'll pay for you to come out with me and run it with oh, me. Okay. And I was like, <laughs> let's go to San Francisco man. <laughs> um, and so I I you know he and I worked together, we like talked about where he was at and you know I just really applied what I learned as a novice runner without any help. You know, I looked up different training patterns, but I didn't, you know, I'm not a trained uh, run coach or, or trainer. Um, I did what, what worked for me and I tried to work with him to see what he was doing and watching his form, using a lot of things I looked up on YouTube, but also the baseline of Coach only, And it was a great time and I was, I was enjoying teaching. I mean, I, it, it, this was, you know, a couple years ago, it was after I was a teacher, it was after I was a coach uh, of kids and I would help kids play ice hockey and stuff like that, so it, it jumped back in my brain about watching someone improve physically and watching those, you know, physical developments or someone get faster or get stronger or whatever, learn more. And I loved it. I wanted to find that again. And I thought, oh, this would be cool. Why don't we get more friends together? It's always, it's, it's easier for him to run with people. Um, I want to, you know, support other people. It's kind of out of the pandemic. We all want social um, interaction um, and we want to be able to have our friends, but we have to keep away from each other. So let's be outside, let's be physical, let's be improving our cardiovascular health. Um, and I thought, okay, let's start inviting people. So we started inviting the different friends and talking ad hoc about it. But then throughout that whole process, I was reading, um, I, I, what well, came across, uh, I forget where I saw it. It might've been Instagram or it might've been somewhere else. I was reading GQ and in GQ, they did like a um, workout, like everything you do in a day type of article, um, like a piece. And it was about this guy, Mike, um, who started the Koreatown Run Club in LA, in Koreatown in LA. And I was reading about it, but then I started doing other reading about this, this run club called KRC, Koreatown Run Club. And what I, what I loved about it was it was a run club that was hyper-focused on the businesses, on the location, on the community in this specific geographic area in Los Angeles. LA is sprawl. It's huge, yeah. but there was this tight knit of runner community people that were coming together every week, multiple times a week in some cases, to run a five k at no just dis- like no no time, um, no no. There was so little pressure, and what I loved about it was when I was doing more research and I was reading about it. This guy was talking about the importance of the community aspect and also talking about the importance of patronizing the locations. And getting to know the places that you were running past. Like running is a transient activity. You run through neighborhoods. You don't necessarily stop and talk to your neighbors. You might talk to the runners that are with you, but you're not going to say, you know, hey to the owner of such and such a market or whatever. Um, but they were doing that and they're trying to engage with people in a really active way. And they had done a couple different things that were very, um, uh, socially conscious, very focused on supporting businesses that might have been going under because of the pandemic, and I thought, okay, let's, let's think about this. How can I get a group of people together that can help patronize the places that I love, support the people that I, I think are doing incredible work, and do it in a really authentic, community-building, and affirming way? Here's a complete template for that. I'm watching it happen in front of my eyes. It's happening in LA, but here it is. Luckily, I also have a background in photography, videography, and, and documentary work, so I had a good camera. And a big thing that they had, on if you go to their Instagram, you if you go to their Instagram and you go to our Instagram, at Ian's Run Club on all social medias, you will see a very clear line and distinction between what they do and what we do. Hmm. The reason being is that when you can take good photos, candid photos of your friends in any context, it doesn't have to be running, but in any context. And you show them your friends having fun your friends enjoying themselves authentic smiles not just looking at a camera and smiling it translates this feeling of community in a way that's really hard to do you know when i was feeling lonely by myself during the pandemic i was looking at the candid photos of my friends on my phone that i would take out doing whatever mm. if i can translate that and use that as an advantage to show my friends they're having fun at that time it was just a fun project with my friends and basically, throughout this whole process, I was on a, um, I was thinking about starting a run club, I was taking all these different ideas together and I wanted to do something, so I posted a story on Instagram that said, hey, I'm thinking about starting a run club, who wants to join for a run? And I have the actual post, I've I, 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 I posted it a couple times, and I think eight people said, yeah, I'm, I'm down. Uh, I was on a road trip at the time, so when I got back, I planned it, it was July 19th, and we got Five people um, at Highland Park for 5K. No pace, no nothing. Just, we're going to go running around the loop a couple times and, and run this 5K. Um, I brought my camera. We took photos. You can see all of it on, the, on our Instagram and, and everywhere. Um, and that kicked it off. And when was this? That was July 19th, July 19th
0: 2021. July
1: 2021. Yeah. And then, <laughs> since then, we've obviously grown. Um, we've obviously got...
0: grown. <laughs> growth is an understatement.
1: <laughs> it, it, we, we've gotten bigger, um, but it's it, we, we still try to have a really intimate setting. We still try to push through all of the same things that we've talked about, about community-centered, inclusivity, about working with the places that we're actually running through really intentionally. There's some ways that we've done that in the past. Uh, I know you were a part of one of our bigger events that did that, um, Race to Trace. Um, we've, we've transitioned in a lot of different ways. We've added a lot of different things, but I started that and it was this pet project to have fun with my friends and what it gave my friends and what they've shared with me is they gave them a community that had been lost a little bit because of the pandemic or because they were done with school or whatever it was and now um it's really a humbling experience to be able to be this Wednesday night event that, they, that my friends and their friends have now to come together and they know they're going to see their their buddies. They know they're going to meet new people every Wednesday.
0: How have you managed to keep such an intimate, tight-knit environment when you have 80, 100, 120 people out of a run?
1: I think... Um, well, one, I would say that we can always do better and I would say now we're getting bigger and, and we're really thinking about how do we keep the experience always the experience everyone has. It definitely isn't what it used to be when it was 20 people and everyone knew each other and it was just, you know, 20 people going together and then we would close down a bar or something like that. It's different now. Um, but I think we, you, you met, I think you said like the first couple of words you said was talking about silliness. Um, I think you create an environment of, you you create a community that feels more authentic, that feels more intimate, that feels more like there's mortar between all these different bricks. Like it just feels like there's something happening here that's a little bit different than something that might be more transient or more artificial. And I think that is trying to take the pretense away, take the ego away, and do that from a, frankly, from a position of leadership, of of being a certain way and establishing a context where people can feel like they can be themselves, I think that starts with me. And I think setting that precedent allows all of the volunteer staff and board members that I now have that continue that. We can't do anything without our volunteers. I, I... The amount of people that are involved every Wednesday to put that on is nuts. I could list them off of all the people that are doing things. People that do things before, during, and after is nuts. And the people that are right now probably working on it is nuts. I'm here talking about it. and That's what I'm supposed to do. But there are people making sure that everyone has the right experience every single day. I sat with Miguel, um, our, our vice president, for three hours today talking about different ways to make sure the experience can, stays the same. Mm. Um, but to go back to your original question, how does that happen? You set the precedent by saying, I'm gonna be, my silliness is gonna be at 17, and everyone else can just get the 10. Mm. If, you, if you try to, if you can set the precedent by saying, and, and acting, and doing, the weirdest things, the silliest things, being flamboyant, jumping around and being like a kid. Then it gives everyone a mutual experience to say, what the hell is this kid doing? It also gives everyone a little bit of the excuse to say, he's showing up ridiculous right now. Maybe how I show up isn't as ridiculous. Maybe how I am or how what, what my silliness or whatever it is. I know I'm gonna be less than that guy <laughs> so if I can be less than that guy then I can be maybe a little bit more myself and can I give you the excuse to be more yourself by being so ridiculously myself
0: Wow and you we were just talking off mic before about how sometimes you struggle being silly but like and then in a leadership model setting the bar of silliness like at what point did that become intentional to
1: be silly that actually has been the, the goal ever since I started. Really? it. Really, it, but this this goes back to my my experience being with high schoolers or being well, or coaching. I have a hard time being silly with with younger kids, but you I can be sillier with, um, with like the the juniors and seniors I was working with. I was kind of describing to you like the they're trying to get me to crack type of uh, joking mentality, and that worked for that context and and what I felt I had to embody as a person with a position of authority, being a teacher Mm -hmm. and a mentor, not necessarily being a friend. Um, In this context, my job is to be everyone's friend. My job is to be everyone's cheerleader. My job is to be everyone's uh, hype person. And so when I go into that, I have to be that person. I have to be as big, as, as loud, as intentional with my ways of connecting with different people and remembering names. And saying, "Hey, I know you did this race. Well, how was it?" Or, uh, you know, it's like people tell their parents about. It. I have like moms and dads that are following us on Instagram, and so I laugh and get to, you know, mention them like, "Hey, your mom liked our story today," or whatever. <laughs> and it's it, it, it's just a way of throwing out these little touch points that makes everyone see, feel seen, feel heard, feel valued. Um, I, I mean, this isn't I. I I don't try to just perform that, that's how I am with my friends and my family, that's how i like to be out in the world. Um, In this context, when building a community, it is an absolute virtue because you can't front that. Mm. You can't inauthentically care about people. People know you're inauthentically caring about them, so you have to care. You have to show up and you have to put your money where your mouth is. And If I'm not doing that, then we're not going to be the community that I hope to be. And we're not going to have the volunteers that we hope to have, and we're not going to be able to put on the events that we hope to have. If you know, if the community wasn't this tight knit community, this this inclusive community, I wouldn't have. See, what? I have four paces. I have th- two options. That's eight. I'm bad at math. I've and trails. And trails. Twenty so Yeah, I have consistently probably. 30 to 40 people that are doing something Mm -hmm. every Wednesday and every Saturday. They all have to know that I'm caring about them, that I'm gonna watch over them, that I'm gonna care about what they're doing, and I'm gonna be feeling connected to them the whole time. So my job is I have to show up as myself and be real with them the whole time. If I'm not doing that, then they're gonna know. So being silly, being my authentic self and feeling completely emotionally and socially depleted afterwards just the way you have to do it because you're not going to have that inclusive feeling that intangible that other people have if you don't set the precedent and of course what comes after that is that the people that buy in that are the ones volunteering the ones giving of themselves to this club caring for everyone just the amount that i'm caring are doing it because they feel that that's part of what they want to be having in this world and they know that they can do that because i'm doing it and i showed them An initial way to do it, and now they're doing it in their own way.
0: Mm. For y'all listening, you just got a seminar on leadership. I know we're talking about a running club and we're talking about being silly and origin stories, but I think it's remarkable the amount of intent that goes behind that and how that goes into that leadership aspect and how that emotionally moves other people to say, I want to be a part of this, I want to make this thing mine. And being able to do that—that's that's
1: impressive. And have you done anything like that before? Um, you know, I I I had leadership positions in college. I've had leadership positions um, in high school. Um, I think I've played different roles in different, you know, friendships and and, and friend groups and in different family situations that have made me someone that thinks very intentionally about the way that I move in the world, how the way I move in the world affects other people, how I communicate with more than just my words, what I'm feeling and and, and what I, um, believe in or what I value. And I think there's a, there was a lot of different cases and, you know, 500 different ways that I've messed up, um or been too serious, or been too ego-driven, or whatever the case is. There's a a multitude of ways that I've messed up in those regards, in leadership capacities, or just in in relationships. Um, I think after a lot of them, I I think really deeply about the ways that I've messed up, or I, I consistently go back to the drawing board in a lot of cases. I honestly think that there was a lot of time that I had uh, in 2018, 2019, 2020, and 2021 to do a great deal of thinking about ways that I wanted to be in the world mm-hmm. and ways that I needed to transition or be better. And what a lot of that became was trying to think about, well, what do I feel towards other people? How do I, do I actually care or am I just full of it? Mm. And after taking some stock, I realized that the only way that I know how to be is be full tilt, full in, and be completely heart driven. And if I'm not going to be that way, then it's inauthentic. So I have to be a certain way to, in order to feel like I'm being myself. And when I came to that conclusion, um, it just made sense that I don't really know what I'm doing, but if I care, I feel like I'm going to be okay. So let's just try to care as much as possible and I'll let what I feel and both like connect the head and the heart to try to lead me in these directions and ask myself consistently, well, what, do I, what would I need in this situation or what would I want in this situation and try to apply that consistently in all the relationships that I have. Because at the end of the day, like this is a community, community is built on individual relationships. So if I'm caring about those relationships and I'm asking myself, is that enough for me? Well, maybe that's enough for me, but maybe it's not enough for them. So let me double check and check in with them. That's what builds a community. And I should also say, like, leadership is also just not knowing what you're doing, but asking good questions. So I ask. I I think I've made a bunch of my friends laugh when I became good friends with them because I would say to them, point blank to their face, "Hey, man," or "Hey, I like you. I would really like to be good friends with you. Can we keep hanging out?" I like that's a weird thing for people to hear these days because it feels so vulnerable. But as a kid that moved, as a as a young kid that, ha- that would have to like call people that I didn't really know too well because I thought maybe we would be friends. It, I think that openness, and that vulnerability, elicits more vulnerability from people. Not in a you know bad sense, but in a sense that's like if you're gonna show up heart in your sleeve, people will show up back in that way. And I've been taking that tact in a lot of ways to say, like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just going to try it and use my best ideas to to keep us moving forward. But if I care enough, then hopefully that will keep us in the right direction.
0: Wow. I'm stuck on... The vulnerability to just ask, hey, I think we can be good friends. Can we keep hanging out? Yeah. I think a lot of people could benefit by being that vulnerable and expressive to other people, and for other people to actually hear that said to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not what this podcast is about right now, but like <laughs> that is like something I'm probably gonna be thinking about for the next thirty-six hours, because like. People need to say that, people need to be able to just express that, Like that's actually something that you don't hear very often. Well, yeah. I think we could be good friends, and like, the only time you ever hear that is when somebody gets turned down from like somebody they wanna date, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, no, I'm not interested, but we could be great friends. It's like the only time that yeah. people really hear that, but like, to just meet some, speaking of, actually, Michael Coutinho, mm-hmm. We have yet to connect, and if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully I will actually text you before I publish this, because me and him have been meaning to hit each other up and yeah, hang out, yeah. but when we met, I'm pretty sure we met at Race to Trace. Okay, yeah. I'm pretty sure we did, because him and Bridget were there, and they immediately started yeah. talking to me the moment I walked in the door. Yeah. Like, I was like, are y'all hosting party? The, I wasn't they, in there for five seconds. They're good friends of mine, and they're... They are,
1: <laughs> They, at the start of it, Mike is the reason why, like, he was the person that asked me the first question. Bridget was there that, I think she was there that first run. Yeah, she was there that first run. They were two people that were intricate with the starting of this rum club. And from the get-go, had been nothing but supportive. Mm. So, whether he's listening to her or not, like, hit him up. They're phenomenal people.
0: Yeah. So, i have actually ran into Bridget last week or the week before out for a okay. run. And yeah. I was running and like she was just crossing the street. I'm like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> but um, he had, yeah, me and him had a conversation. Yep. It was kind of like that. I'm like, yo, we should
1: hang out more. Mm-hmm. We just have to do it. Cool. <laughs> and I, 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 If I can extend an anecdote to, to really articulate that as to why that's helpful. I'm not gonna touch relationships, uh, uh, like romantic relationships, because that has a whole other part. But if you're talking about friendships, when I was in seventh grade, I was on the bus to school and I was sitting next to this kid that I was good for. I was just chatting with and we seemed to have, we were laughing about the same stuff. We were talking about sports. It was I was having a great time. It seemed like I was connecting with this kid. And I was a very shy person if I was doing this when I was, you know, in middle school, high school. This is wild. Like most people that I know back home would never assume that I'd be doing what I'm doing now because I was a very timid and shy and really insecure kid. I'm um, still wildly insecure, but I, I, I'm, I take steps to help myself now, but this kid I was sitting next to, I was like, I don't i do not really know, I think we're going to be friends, I'd like to be friends, but I feel weird, I don't, I don't really know, um, I ended up getting, finding his phone number somehow, I think there was like a directory for the school I was in or something like that, I called his home phone, and I said, hey, this is Dan from the bus, like, any chance you want to come hang out on on Saturday? That kid, but luckily we live close by, he rode his bike over. His name's Colin. Since seventh grade, he's been my best friend. He's now a high school science teacher back at the high school he went to. I was texting him yesterday. We were talking about Last of Us um, the (laughs) other day. I need a watch. We won Best Romance in high school. He is my best friend and knows everything about me. And the kickoff of our friendship was me calling him saying, I think we'll be friends when I was in seventh grade. Friendships happen when you just add that vulnerability. Sometimes there are crappy people out there that are gonna throw that back in your face and those are crappy people. Um, you know, customer service line that a comedian I love says that some people suck, some people suck and they're gonna react respond in a certain way. It's not a definitive statement, everyone has bad days, but you're not always gonna get the same thing back, but some people are gonna give it back to you and that's where you make connections. And I know I have a best friend in, in my life because of that, mm. that has known me in a lot of transitions in my life and supported me, and I've supported him. It's so important to lead with the vulnerability because if you do that, then you're going to receive vulnerability from the people that you're going to actually vibe with. Mm. I have this line I used in
0: college, and it was about relationships, and uh, people talk about like trust and, and closeness, and it's, to your point, We have to start with vulnerability, because you can't trust anybody if there's no vulnerability, because there's nothing to trust. (laughs) You got no meat. You got nothing (laughs) to hold on to. Yeah. If if you if you are not at risk to be potentially hurt or betrayed or just disappointed, then there's no ability to trust anybody because that vulnerability. And it takes for that trust to actually like build into Mm -hmm. a actual relationship and connection Mm -hmm. with another person because. There's skin
1: in the game. In a totally. Sense. And I, I would just add that that's something that is at the core of a lot of conversations um, with friendships in general, but also a lot of men that feel really di- find it really difficult to feel vulnerable. There is plenty out there on social media telling you to never be vulnerable and shut down your emotions, control them, and all those sorts of things. But we're emotional beings. We're going to be controlled by them. We can do our best to, to try to understand what's happening, but... You can't understand your emotions, their emotions for a reason. Vulnerability is a very emotional state, but leading with that um, is something that is a terrifying thing to do, but it does yield a lot of good results. It's not immediate satisfaction in a lot of cases, but, um, you know, and I, I said, like, you, we can I, we could talk ad nauseum about wanting to, or talking about vulnerability and insecurity as it relates to men uh, in, in male bodies. Um, that I would love to talk about. Um, that but, is definitely a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a whole thing, and oh, we don't need to talk about it here, but like, it's something that I feel confident among, across the spectrum of, of human beings that leading with vulnerability um, seeks a lot. Um, and I think for some people, there's, there's a, a thinker that I am forgetting their last name, uh, a trans thinker named Alok. I think that's how you pronounce their first name, that I'm forgetting their last name they're on this podcast called the man enough podcast that I listened to. And I've done some reading and talked to some friends that um, are also writers in the trans community about this specific person. And they said something that was to the effect about specifically about the trans community, but the queer community about um, uh, the, the fear people have of the trans community because they're living so greatly authentic in themselves that they are they're deciding that they're gonna their authenticity is like the, the community that is afraid of the trans community or trying to put them down or, or hold them down or creating laws or whatever that uh, diminish them or prevent them from, from living their authentic selves and in, the, in their lives. Um, this this thinker, a local. I apologize for forgetting their last name. Um, I really respect for a lot of different reasons, but in this specific thing, it was something that they said really rang true that living your authentic self is um, is directly against people that are choosing not to be them their authentic self and I'm butchering what they' said but I'm basically saying that it is incredibly difficult to be your authentic self but you have to leave with all with vulnerability with authenticity and when you do that you can build communities that are led by vulnerability authenticity and have that tangible that you were mentioning um, that thinker I for the Latin for not forgetting their last name. Definitely look them up. Um, Man Enough Podcast, Alok, A-L-O-K. Um, but they this idea of leading with vulnerability, of authenticity, is at the core of what I'm trying to do with the community that I've built. And I hope and I believe in all the people that are contributing to that, that show up as themselves, that it resonates with to say, oh, I can be who I am here. And if that's the, the thing that whether you come to one run or all the runs, if you show up thinking to yourself, I can be who I am here. This is three, this three miles or this one mile might be difficult, but I know I'm not gonna be put down when I come back red in the face. Or I know that I'm gonna be able to hang out with people that are gonna say, hey, how you doing, what's your name? And not bring any preconceived notions. That's the community that is beautiful. And that's the community that you, you wanna have.
0: I can say that in my time of uh, running with YRC over the last year, I've been able to feel that love and just feel the environment is so welcome that I can just walk up to people and literally start talking to them, which some people listening might think, oh yeah, Donald is that social. I am that social when I am somewhat to the center of the attention. When I am not the center of attention, I am not that social. Mm. I'm very comfortable in the spotlight, but outside of it, I don't really want to do all that, but YRC is such a vulnerable environment that you can just start talking to people and have a meaningful interaction. Yeah. Thank you. So how can people learn more about YRC? Where can they find yeah. you at? What is the, how do how does YRC like operate as far as like when they run, how, how things go?
1: Totally, so we run every Wednesday at 6.30. Um, we take a three week break basically uh, between uh, the winter holidays and New Year's. Uh, so because that's over, we are running every Wednesday throughout the rest of this year. It's every Wednesday at 6.30 at different locations around the city of Pittsburgh. You can find all of those locations um, that are dropped every month on um, our social media, at Yin's Run Club. We primarily use uh, Instagram uh, and Facebook. Um, Instagram is the main source of information, so I would suggest you go there. Um, we use Facebook as the kind of the documentary portion of everything that we do. So we post all of our photos there every week. So if you wanna all the photos that we take, you can find your, your smiling self on there. Um, uh, we have a Twitter, we don't post that often, so I would suggest not going there. Um, but I would go to Facebook or Instagram. Um, like I said, every Wednesday at 6:30, we run three miles um, or one mile. Within the three mile option, we have four pace groups. We have an 8.30 pace, a 9-minute pace, a 9.30 pace, and a 10-minute pace. Um, If you are running the three-mile option, you will have a pacer in front and a sweeper at back, keeping everyone together, and you can choose what pace group you want to be in. If you want to run one mile, if this is your first time running, or you want to walk or just be active, um, or just kind of feel it out, you can come and do the one mile. It's paceless meaning we the um, pacer will talk to the group and kind of find out a general pace that might work for everybody and they'll hold that pace. There'll be someone in the middle that can make sure everyone stays together and someone in the back um, that will be walking so that if you need to stop or anything happens, they are there to care for you. So that's Run Crew, our Wednesday night running. We also have Trails, which is a bi-weekly trail run that's always three miles. Um, it is... Usually, a 12 minute pace. We only have one group and we all stick together. Um, so, there is some stopping. We kind of, if we run up a steep hill, we'll stop at the top and make sure we collect the group again, check in on everybody. Um, and we always do those three miles and uh, we'll come back um, and have coffee that's provided by, uh, which I can say this now, by Adda Coffee is our new coffee sponsor this year. Um, Atta For coffee, the whole year? Uh, the whole year. They're on yeah. Penn Avenue, right? They're on a couple of different places. They're on Penn Avenue. multiple. Penn Ave, uh, they're on Highland. Uh, they're in uh, the north side, so just forget the street name. Um, and I think there's one other location, but uh, they're an awesome company. Um, and um, our partnerships lead, uh, Danny Marsh, uh, made that happen with, um, I forget the, the woman's name at Adda, but... They seem really into it and really excited so we're happy to have them aboard. Um, And so those are our two different runs that we have. We have different events that kind of happen throughout the year, different promotions. The best way to find out about anything um, is to follow us on Instagram. If you come to any of our runs though, one way that we try to encourage more community with everyone is if you come to a run, you're invited to join our WhatsApp community. We have a few different communities that we operate and organize with our community equity director. Um, Zach Limo. Um and basically we have a social chat and we have a running chat. Um, the running chat was created just to encourage anyone that is doing their own race that wants to find a group to do it together or some people um, in a lot of cases might run really early in the morning. If they want to find a group to run early in the morning together to feel safe, you can throw it in there and they might be able to find someone to run with you. Um, and then the social app is like if you want to stay connected with your community because you have an extra ticket to a concert or you're, you want to go see a movie you just don't want to go back to go to do by yourself you can throw it in there and we generally have people that all connect with one another It's a, as you describe a tight-knit community in that way um, but you can only join that if you come to a run so the best way to, to join YRC is to come for a run uh, and then we'll tell you everything about all the other stuff you need to know um, I will say that there is no sign up we have no memberships it is entirely free so if you are interested in coming to run with us All you have to do is show up. If you want to sign the waiver before you show up, you can go to any of our link in bios, sign the waiver. If you don't have social media and you just want to show up, show up, we'll give you the waiver when you get there um, and you'll be good to go to choose whatever adventure you want to have with the three mile option or the one mile option or at trails. We will always have our run crew runs on Wednesday nights at 6.30, be free. We will always have the trails runs at 10 a.m on every other Saturday for free. If you want to be more involved, we'll take you as a volunteer. Uh, And if you want to stick around with more information as we grow, um, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook, and you'll find out more information.
0: All those links are in the description. Dan, thank you for coming in and and telling us about YRC. This was an awesome conversation and it went way deeper than I knew it was going to, and I'm so glad it did.
1: Thank you for having me, Donald. it was a real honor.
0: All right, good people. Make sure you go and follow them. Check out a run. I go oh, one, two, three times a month. On average about twice a month. So you might see me there. Uh, it's a wonderful group. And I really encourage you all to find a community. If this is your community, find a community. But get active. Stay out there. And we'll catch you next time on the show. Ciao, people.